We continue this morning in our series on worship. We'll pull the house lights up if we could. And we'll be looking at the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. I've always been very fond of Joshua. I've enjoyed reading this week the book of Joshua, and Joshua is the Hebrew name for Jesus, Yeshua, meaning salvation. My second son, Jimmy, his real name is James Joshua. I told you last week about a moment on the altar with Jimmy. You know, I feel like Jimmy has this anointing from God, a worship anointing. And uh, he told me a couple of years ago, Dad, I feel like I'm called into the uh, military service. So God willing, on May, he'll be commissioned as a second lieutenant in the United States Army. So Jimmy went away last weekend on an OCF weekend, Officers Christian Fellowship. And guess what Jimmy's task was at the weekend? He was the worship leader. <laughs> so I thought there's this uh, great movement in God's life of Jimmy putting him in a place where he can be um, vocal about his faith in Christ. And then also my third son, whose name is Joshua. His name is Joshua David. So Joshua, we're referring to from the Bible, was a worshiper. And he was a lieutenant to Moses. And Joshua, we see in the Bible, lingered in God's presence in the tent of meeting. Joshua went up with Moses to Mount Sinai to hear a word from God. And when the nation came under attack from Amalek, Moses turned to Joshua and asked him to fight with some of the bravest men. And Moses went up on the mountain to pray. You see, Joshua was a warrior, but Moses was his prayer warrior. So if you have a Bible, we can open up to Joshua chapter 5. J. Hudson Taylor used to say there's three ways to make a decision. One way is to sort of size up the decision, you know, look at the pros and cons, the good and the bad, and then very, make the very best decision we can and hope our plans succeed. The second way is we make our plans and then we ask God to bless them. That's how I feel about a lot of political speeches in America. You just heard a political speech and then the person says, and may God bless the United States of America. Now, nothing they said correlates to anything God says, but yet God, may God bless the United States of America. And the third way he said we make plans is we ask the Lord what his plans are and then we do what God tells us to do. So as a nation, God, what do you want us to do about Syria? And what do you want us to do about Iran and Israel? And what do you want us to do about drilling offshore? What do you want us to do about reducing our debt or solving the unemployment problems in America? What do you want to do about the immigration issues? God, what do you want to do in this land? See, I believe that God is raising up intercessors like you and I across America. Actually, praying for 500,000 to arise in this election year. I believe there will first of all be a spiritual movement in America before there is political reform. So I think the thing that we wait for is a movement of God's spirit in our nation, a great awakening like God did in the 1700s, in the 1800s, an awakening in our time, a movement of the spirit of God where the people of God are standing up and stepping up. Back again to our definition of worship. Worship is this deliberate action. It's an attitude we take wherein we encounter God. This morning we're looking at an encounter with God, with Joshua. For everything we think and say and do is an opportunity for us to worship. I was talking to a man this week. His name was Jude. And Jude was in a worship service like this. And as the worship leader was leading, she mentioned something about Haiti. The children in Haiti 
have nothing to eat. Now, normally that comment would just kind of pass over him, but he began to reflect upon it and ponder it. You see, when we get in alignment with God, sometimes we get an assignment from God. And as Jude pondered that, he realized he had a piece of property. And Jude sold that piece of property, and he sent it down to the orphanage in Haiti. Little did he know until he got a letter back from the orphanage saying, all of our donors dried up in just the weeks before you sent your check. The children were hungry without the necessary provisions. Many of our staff had left. And God used you to provide for these precious children. You see, when we truly worship God, we enter into alignment with him. And then sometimes out of that alignment comes forth our assignment from God. Joshua chapter 5 and verse 13. If you have a Bible, you can open up. If not, it should be on the screen behind me. Joshua 5.13. Now Joshua was near the city of Jericho. Joshua was anointed and appointed by God to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. They had crossed over the Jordan River, and now they were in the land of Canaan. And I believe that Joshua, like leaders do, was feeling the weight of responsibility. This was, however, not the first time Joshua had seen the walls around Jericho. They were considered impossible to breach. Jericho was a stronghold, a well-fortified city, and the people there trusted in their walls. You see, years before, Joshua was one of the 12 spies that went into the land. There were 10 spies who believed the cities were too large. The people were too big. We will fail in this mission. It is impossible. The ten spies issued a bad report. But there were two spies, Joshua and Caleb, who came forth with a word of faith. They believed that God had promised the land, and God would deliver the land. The land was good and spacious. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. And Joshua believed. He said, if the Lord is pleased with us, if we have trust in the Lord, we'll take possession of the land. Joshua was near Jericho. Now it was 40 years later since that moment when he first saw the walls around Jericho. And so I believe that what happened here is that Joshua was considering his options as the leader as to how to take the city of Jericho. Option number one for him, lay siege to the city. We can surround the city so there is no escape. And then we can force them to surrender. Option number two, we can scale the walls of the city with ladders. Surely some of our young men will perish, but eventually we will prevail if we go up their walls. Now, by the way, the walls around Jericho were 25-foot high walls. That means you had to have at least a 25-foot high ladder. Do you like to climb ladders? And there would be people waiting for you at the top of the walls. And once you scaled the first wall, there was a second wall, an inner wall of Jericho. They were considered impossible to breach. Option number three, we can dig underneath these walls by making a tunnel and surprise them under the cover of night. And option number four, it's been my personal favorite, we can take our battering rams and just bust down their city gates. And then we can just burst into the city. These were the options that Joshua was thinking about in his head. He was looking down to the ground, contemplating, 
And as he looked down and looked up, he saw a man standing in front of him with a sword that was drawn. Now, how many of you know that God keeps his promises? How many of you know that our God is a covenant-keeping God, a promise-keeping God? He made a promise to Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. God had spoken to Moses many times, but now he was about to speak to Joshua. God had revealed himself to Moses on the mountain, but now he was about to reveal himself to Joshua before the battle. Joshua is realizing he is not alone. What an encouragement to know that you are never alone. He was experiencing the the reality of that promise. One of my breath prayers I pray very often when I am alone, when I am frightened, when I feel overwhelmed is, God, I know you are with me. You see, this is the beginning of Joshua's encounter with God. It's been said that our extremities are God's opportunity. Joshua was feeling alone, feeling the weight of the responsibility. He was saying, God, I don't know what to do. There he stood, looking at the walls, the impossibility of the situation. And he was saying, God, I don't know what to do. Now, everybody here is a person facing a battle. You may be battling against an illness, battling against cancer. Some of you may be battling a family situation, a strained relationship. Somebody here may be battling with the IRS or battling with an insurance company. But surely there is a battle going on in your life. Somebody once said to me, be nice to everybody because everybody's fighting a battle. And if you're not fighting a battle, I'll guarantee you somebody in your family is battling a battle. There may be a battle with addiction, a battle with prescription drugs, a battle with alcohol, a battle with food, eating too much food, or eating too little food. But I'll guarantee you that every person in this room has a battle you were fighting. And Joshua himself was about to fight a battle. But God showed up in his life, and God showed up with a sword. You see, God is a warrior God. Our God will fight for his people. And now God had showed up on the eve of the battle with a sword in his hand. This is an appearance of Jesus Christ. And Joshua went up to him. That tells me that Joshua was courageous and bold. God had said to him, this is my command, be strong and courageous, Joshua. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. It takes courage to stand up when others are sitting down. It takes courage to speak up when others are shutting up. It takes courage to step up. It took courage for Joshua to go to him, to the man with the drawn sword. And Joshua confronted the situation. He confronted the stranger with the question, are you for us or are you for our enemies? I want to know which side you're on. Joshua was not a man of compromise. Are you for God and his people or are you against God and his people? Joshua was seeking after God and God was seeking after him. Verse 14. And the reply was, neither, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell down to the ground in reverence. 
Now the identity of this man with the drawn sword is revealed. He was the commander of the Lord's army. You want to know who I am? I'll tell you who I am. I am the commander of the Lord's army. I am commander of the hosts of heaven. I am the commander of the angels in heaven. I am the commander of God's army. Joshua, if you put me first, if you honor me, if you surrender your life and submit to me, if you become second in command. Now notice, Joshua is in command, but now the commander of the Lord's army is saying, if you will surrender command to me, I will give to you a battle plan. You see, God came to Joshua that day not only to help him, but to lead him. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Joshua had to make a choice to surrender command to Jesus. And I love the humility of the next question. What message does my Lord have for his servant? In this moment of worship, Joshua is bowing before Christ, submitting his life to him, asking the question, what message does my Lord have for a servant? What word would you give unto me? I'm here about ready to face a battle, about ready to take on the enemy. God, what word would you have in my life? You see, God not only would speak to Moses, and God would speak to Joshua, but God also wants to speak to you. Sometimes before the battle, he'll give us an advanced word, a word from God about that particular assignment. Sometimes God will give to us a word of affirmation. And that's beautiful to hear, isn't it? I love you. You are my chosen one. You are my beloved. Sometimes God will give to us a corrective word. Be open to the corrective word from God. There was a time not long ago, a few days ago, and I woke up really early in the morning. It was about 3.30. And the word the Lord was giving to me was, don't carry over. There was something in my heart that I was carrying over from the previous week. It was like a weight that was just weighing upon me. And what God was saying is, this is a new day. This is a do-over. This is a fresh new beginning. Don't carry over from yesterday something into this day. You see, God was giving me a word. And those who are led by the Spirit are truly the sons of God. And God has not given us a spirit of slavery, but God's given us a spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And in Abba, Father's presence, the Spirit of God will sometimes minister to our heart and give us a word, a word of direction, a word of comfort, a word of assignment. And the commander, verse 15, of the Lord's army replied, well, here's your first assignment. <laughs> Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. He said, what message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said, Take off your sandals, for the place wherein you're standing is holy. It's with our sandals, with our shoes, we pick up the filth of this world. That is why Joshua is asked to remove his sandals. It's why Jesus took off the sandals of his disciples and washed their feet. Joshua could not keep his sandals on in the presence of the Lord. 
You see, Joshua was standing in Canaan, land that God was about to give. And because God was with him, he was standing on holy ground. You see, years before, Moses had been taking care of the sheep. And there on that mountain, he saw a bush that was ablaze but not consumed. And there was a voice coming to him from that bush, Moses, Moses. You see, God knew his name. And God knows your name. And God was trying to get his attention. So he took a common thing, a bush, and he set it ablaze. And he began to speak to Moses from that bush, saying, Moses, Moses. And Moses began to approach the bush. And the the voice said, don't come any nearer. But take off your sandals, for the, the ground where you stand is holy ground. One time I was mopping up the kitchen. And that's kind of a rare event. That's why I bring attention to it. (laughs) So I had my mop and my bucket. And I told the kids, Betsy and the others, I said, please don't walk through the kitchen. Because I wanted to look clean. Some people were coming over. I want the kitchen to be presentable. So I was mopping up the floor and making it all scrub clean. And I noticed there was a trail of feet. There was dirt up on the floor. And I wonder, which of my kids has just walked across the floor? And then I noticed they were size 14 footprints. They were my own footprints because my own feet were pretty dirty. You see, I hadn't taken the time to wash my own feet before I washed the kitchen floor. How about your feet? What have you picked up from this world? What filth do you carry? Do you realize we're in the presence of the living God and our God is holy? And God has a message for us to hear. And Joshua takes on the posture of a worshiper, of God, I am your servant. I'm here in your presence. I don't know what to do. Lord, what message would you bring to me this day? God will speak to us if our hearts are open to him. Joshua 6, the battle plan. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went in and no one came out. It kind of sounds ominous. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. There are two kingdoms in this world. There is the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. There is the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. There is the kingdom of abundance. Mike spoke of that earlier, the kingdom of abundance and the kingdom of scarcity. In the kingdom of scarcity, you must grab for whatever you can. You must hold on to whatever you get. Why? Because whatever you hold on to is your security. You get your security from whatever you hold on to. But in the kingdom of abundance, there is plenty. You don't have to grab whatever you can. You don't have to hold on to stuff. Why? Because you believe that God is your source. God is your supply. And God is your abundance. My God is able to meet all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. God is able, God is sufficient to make all grace abound towards you, that you having all sufficiency may abound to every good work. God is the king of his kingdom, and we are the children of the king, and we are the heirs of his kingdom, and we have an inheritance. We know that our king rules When the wind blows, it blows at his bidding. When the sun shines, it shines to his glory. 
But there is a rival to our king, and his name is Satan. And Satan is no joke. He has power, the power to deceive. He has the power to allure, the power to entice. And he has been quite active in our area, drawing young men and young women into gangs. It is not illegal to assemble, but there is much illegal activity in our own area. The enemy finds an opening, an open gate. He finds an open door. And the person then has a spirit that begins to oppress them. We say a person has a spirit of bitterness, or a person has a spirit of anger, or a person has a spirit of unbelief, or a person has a spirit of fear. These spirits come from the enemy, and they are very real. Spirits have identity and personality. They are real entities. And the enemy builds a stronghold in a person's life. These strongholds are fortified places that Satan builds to exalt himself against the knowledge and the plans of God. And there are three different kinds of strongholds I want to identify this morning. The first of these strongholds is a territorial stronghold. Dark beings on assignment, strategically assigned by Satan to influence and control nations and cities. I believe we will see Jericho as a territorial stronghold in the land of Canaan. She was well fortified with thick, tall walls. She was guarded with guards on the top of those walls. And she was much feared. This territorial stronghold was the pride of their city. It was the confidence in their walls. It was their false religion. And then there are ideological strongholds. These are philosophies and ideologies that influence cultures and society. I believe that this week we saw evidence of an ideological stronghold, what happened in Annapolis. Maryland has become the eighth state to endorse same-sex marriage. Do you understand that God has already spoken on that subject? He has said that marriage is the domain of a man and woman in a covenant relationship for a lifetime. Marriage is not a relationship of a man with a man or a woman to a woman. And I applaud the African-American pastors who appeared this week down in Annapolis and throughout the course of the week separating out civil rights, civil rights from this miscarriage of a just law. One of our students this week simply at her bus, was assaulted for simply believing in creation, that God is her creator. Many of the students were attacking her for um, their views on evolution. There are ideological and philosophical strongholds people carry. And there are personal strongholds. You see, we are in a battle with the enemy. And the battlefield is the mind. And we believe stuff that isn't true. And our false beliefs have become our mindsets, our attitudes. And these mindsets begin to manifest themselves with the actions we take. You see, a stronghold is a mindset impregnated with hopelessness that causes a person to accept as unchangeable something that is contrary to the will and the plan of God. And notice what the word Joshua received is, verse 2. I have delivered Jericho into your hands. 
along with its king and fighting men. You may consider this to be a stronghold, but I have power over this stronghold. This is as good as it's already going to happen. You see, I've already delivered the city into your hands. Joshua, I've commissioned you to take the city, and the city is in your hands. You see, the battle isn't with Jericho. The battle isn't with the Canaanites. The battle isn't with the walls of the city. The battle is with the hearts of the people to believe the sure, clear word of God. And God says he has power over the strongholds in your life. God has power to tear down those strongholds. You see, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. For we have power from God to destroy strongholds. Wherever the strongholds are, God has the power to break those walls down. You see, Joshua was facing a dilemma. He had walls in front of him. He could not knock down. He comes into the presence of the Lord and he says, Lord, I don't know what to do. God asks him to take off his shoes for the place is holy ground. And God reveals to him the, pl- the battle plan. God, I don't know what to do about my family. I don't know what to do about my situation. I don't know what to do about my marriage. God, I don't know what to do. And God will reveal to you the battle plan. All Joshua and the people had to do was believe that the city was delivered into their hands, to believe the promise that God was giving, and then to obey the Lord's instructions. So what is the battle plan? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. March around the city for six straight days. The armed guard go in front of the procession. Then come seven priests with seven trumpets. How many know the, word, the number seven has a lot of significance in the Bible? Seven priests with seven trumpets for seven days. And seven laps around the city. And on the seventh lap around the city, to blow those trumpets. <laughs> the, the trumpets will precede the ark of the Lord. And then the walls are going to come crashing down. And all you're going to charge in and take possession of the city. How many here know that God wants us to take possession of the city? How many know that God wants to deliver people from our city that are in bondage? Some are held captive by the enemy. And God wants to use our prayers and our actions to take back the captives that are held in the city. The ark of the Lord, the presence of God. But you've got to follow the plan that God gives. There was a man, he was in some deep financial trouble. And so he was facing bankruptcy and um, also foreclosure. He was spending a lot more money than he ever spent, actually spending more than he had. So he found himself kind of climbing into consumer debt, kind of being buried by consumer debt. And the people were calling, the creditors were calling. And so what he did was he scheduled a meeting with a financial counselor. He said, I've got to find my way out of debt. This is like killing my family. My wife and I are fighting all the time about this. People are calling on the phone. So he went to see a financial planner. And the financial planner helped him. He gave him a plan to get himself out of debt. He showed him how to save up for retirement, how to save up for his kids' college education. And he came back with that plan. And he took that plan and he put it, he felt better than he ever felt before. He had a plan. 
So he took the plan and he put it into a drawer of his desk. He never actually opened the plan. He never actually followed the plan. But he had a plan. You see, you've got to follow the plan. You see, when God gives you a plan, you've got to follow the plan. You can't make up your own plan. You've got to listen to what God says to you. And when God gives you a plan, you've got to follow the plan. And this man in three years was in foreclosure and in bankruptcy because he did not follow the plan. You see, God was giving to the people a plan. He was showing them the battle plan, the strategy of how to take the city. And they were going to worship as they walked around the city. They were going to blast the ram's horn, a sign of victory. And the people were going to take the city. So on the seventh day, they got up, verse 15, and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except on that day, they circled the city seven times. They kept the plan. And the seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blasts, Joshua commanded the army, shout! I love when God's people shout. For the Lord has given you the city. This was a shout a victory. God's people were to shout the victory. You see, we fight from victory, not unto victory. We don't fight for the victory. We fight because the victory has already been won. How many know that when Jesus went to the cross, the victory was won? The victory over sin was won. The victory over Satan was won. And then when he rose up from the dead, the victory over death was won. The victory for God's people has already been won. You see, there was a time when you were far away from God and you had an evil mind and evil behavior. But God has reconciled you to himself by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And he has presented us to himself as holy, unblemished, without accusation. The victory on the cross has been won. We fight from victory, not unto victory. But there is a battle for God's people to fight. And they had to obey the battle plan. How many know that God wants to take this city? How many believe, how many believe that God can take this city? Not many. How many believe that God can take this city? How many believe, yes. How many believe that God wants to take this city? He wants to take back this city. He wants us to take possession of this city. He wants us to walk through this city by faith, claiming this territory for God, claiming this soul for God, claiming this person for God. Now, some of you, years ago, you put your child on an altar. You stood before a minister. You stood before the church, and you dedicated that little one to Christ. But you know as well as I know That little one is far, far from God. I'm speaking to somebody. That little one is far, far from God. There's no use lying to yourself. There's no use use pretending it isn't true. Let's face the reality of the situation. This person has walked far from God, and Satan has stolen something from you and from your family. Who wants to take that soul back? Who wants to reclaim that person for Jesus? Who wants to pray in Jesus' name? that that person will turn back to him. You see, God has the power to take back what Satan has claimed. But we've got to believe. 
We've got to live by faith. We have to live expectantly that our God is most high. Our God is most powerful. And the city and all inside of it were devoted to the Lord. But only Rahab and the prostitute and all who are with her in the house were spared. You see, what happened was when the walls came down of the city, there was one house that was spared, the house of Rahab and all who belonged to her. Because Rahab and the city of Jericho believed. When the spies came to her house, she gave them safe refuge. And she asked for a favor that her house be protected, be spared when the destruction come. How many would be spared when the destruction come? How many want your house to be spared when the destruction comes? You see, everyone inside that house was spared. But those outside of the house were not spared when the walls came down. And archaeology tells us that the walls came down kind of pancake style. They just kind of collapsed. But there was one house that was standing, the house of Rahab. Jesus said it this way. Whoever hears my words, whoever puts my words into practice, will be like a man who built his house upon a rock. The rains fell down, the floods came up, the wind blew against that house, but the house stood firm because the house was built upon a rock. How many want to build your house on the rock of Jesus? How many want a house, when the winds blow against the house, the house is going to stand? When the rains fall on top of the house, the house is going to stand. When the floods come up, the house is going to stand because the foundation is strong and secure. It's been built on the person of Jesus Christ. You see, Rahab trusted in the Lord, and God protected her house. Verse number 20. When the trumpet sounded, and the army shouted, (laughs) and the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave the loud shout, the wall collapsed, and everyone charged in, and they took the city. I believe there is an alignment happening in our city. Many groups coming together of a like mind to take back this city. I see what's brewing now in places like Waverly and Hillcrest, places we have prayed about for a long, long time. On April 28th, we're going in. We're going into those places, and we're going to plant some flowers. We're going to take barren places and make them beautiful. The seeds right now are coming into being. We're looking for some people with a heart for those communities who will go in the name of Jesus and love the residents there and build relationships. We're going to invite them to a medical clinic. We're going to start a fatherhood initiative for the fathers who don't know how to father and for the sons who don't have a father. We're going to take a step of faith, believing God is leading us to take back the city. And then on June the 2nd, we're going to do again Convoy of Hope. Last year, 5,000 came. This year, we hope as many as 8,000 come. We're looking for some doctors, some nurses, some dentists. We're looking for some hairstylists. I mean, not the people who just have buzzers that hit the dog's hair or that hits the kid's crew cuts, but real licensed haircutters. We're looking for some photographers Not people who just take pictures of kids at the beach, but real photographers. We're looking for some people to give out shoes and food. We're going to bless this city. There's going to be people come to that place who are going to hear about Jesus. They're going to fall in love with Jesus Christ. We're going to take back this city. And God's going to use you, and God's going to use me, because we're going to take back the city. You see, the enemy has taken people captive. The enemy has taken people out. Maybe the enemy has taken you out. Maybe you can't even hear what I'm saying. 
But I'm telling you, we're going to take back the city. We're going to go in in faith. We're going to live by faith. You see, by faith, the walls around around Jericho came tumbling down. You could say by... (laughs) Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Joshua faithed the battle of Jericho. It really wasn't much of a battle because God caused those walls to fall down and God gave them back the city. And so the Lord was with Joshua, verse 27, and his fame spread throughout all the land. Let me ask you this question. Are you standing in the presence of the Lord now asking the question, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm facing a battle. (laughs) Maybe it has to do with something at work, a battle within that company. Lord, what do you want me to do? Maybe it's an issue with the, the military. Lord, what do you want me to do? What kind of service do you want me to render? Maybe it has to do with your education, the next step in your education. Lord, what do you want me to do? Maybe it has to do with an unresolved conflict. Lord, what do you want me to do? Maybe it has to do with an illness as what the next steps are. Lord, what do you want me to do? You see, Joshua stood in the presence of the Lord. And he lifted up his hands and he said something like, and Lord, what do you want me to do? Well, let's make first things first. God told him, first of all, take off your sandals for the ground where you're standing is holy ground. Acknowledge me to be a holy God. Acknowledge your sin. And then once you're into alignment with me, I've got an assignment for you to do. And here is the battle plan. And when God gives you that battle plan, you stick to that battle plan because there's a guaranteed victory if you do what God calls you to do. Pray with me, would you please? Father in heaven, here we are as worshipers, and we are in your presence. So many battles going on in this room, a battle to even hear what I'm trying to say. A battle to hear, God, what you're trying to speak into someone's life. You're trying to say, God, I know your name. I know where you are. I know the battle you're about to face. I know the battle you're fighting. And I am with you. I have not turned against you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. But first of all, take off those sandals. So, Father, to the degree that your spirit now is bringing to our awareness of our sin, God, we confess it to you. And we believe that the blood of Jesus is sufficient to wash the stains away. But God, to some here, you're giving an assignment. Just like you gave to Jude an assignment. So God, our, our ears are wide open now. And we say, God, what message are you giving to your servant? God, we need to hear a word from you. We need direction, and we need wisdom. God, we want to follow you. Would you speak to your people, Lord? Would you open the windows of heaven and pour that word out to them? Some here just need to know you, Lord. Some here just need to seek after you. And some just need to follow you, Lord. So in your presence, we're believing that you're a God who's for us and not against us a God who's tearing down walls 
and building intimacy with us, a God who is destroying strongholds in our life. God, speak to your people. We open our ears to listen. We want a battle plan from you. God, we are your children, and we will follow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the place to simply come and just get before the Lord into his very presence and really open up your heart and to listen to what he is saying to you. God may be directing you into an assignment, and you need prayer for that assignment. We will pray with you. Let's worship the Lord together. Would you stand with us as we sing our last songs?